Take your Bibles if you turn to Psalm, uh, if you would, Psalm 20, uh, 32. Psalm 32, we're going to read the whole Psalm. It's 11 verses. And uh, the name of the message is, Thank God I'm Forgiven. Thank God I'm Forgiven. Because <clears throat> um, this is David, uh, and really in jubilation, uh, that he's saved and he's forgiven of his sins. And um, he's just rejoicing in this. This Psalm, which, you know, as we look at the Psalms, they are really a songbook. Um, that uh, they sang these things, and um, boy, that would have been a great time, wouldn't it? We don't know what the tune was or whatever, but it was just sort of neat if we could go back in time and hear this sung. But uh, as we read, we'll read all 11 verses, starting in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When, he kept sil- when I kept silence... My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you again. We thank you for uh, your blessings, your mercy, your salvation. And, uh, Father, thank you for the uh, beautiful music we've, we've heard and, Lord, these songs that we've sung. Lord, we just trust, Lord, that um, you're pleased with our worship with you this evening. And, Father, we, uh, we thank you, Father, for the sweet fellowship that we can enjoy. Uh, Lord, is, <clears throat> I hear many, much criticism about churches. And, Lord, but uh, we know that there, that's not the case with um, this church and I know even our church. Lord, there's a sweet spirit that really rules and, uh, Lord... Uh, we're so grateful and we don't take it for granted. Father, we just pray that you bless our unity tonight. We just thank you for um, <clears throat> Chris Hart, Lord, for uh, getting baptized tonight. We just pray, Father, that uh, you bless her and Tristan, Lord. Thank you for um, saving them. Thank you, Lord, for their, the blessing they've been to our church. And, and Lord, that's, uh, it's a real privilege, Lord, that we can even um, share how, the blessing they are to us with uh, Mississauga International. I pray, Father, that you uh, bless uh, this message, Lord, and help me to deliver this, that it might be an encouragement to your people, and, uh, Lord, that we all might uh, uh, be drawn closer to you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the peace and joy that David felt after confessing his sins uh, is displayed in the first two verses there where he says, Blessed is He whose transgression is forgiven. He's talking about himself, whose sin is covered. He's talking about himself. Blessed the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. He's talking about himself, in whose spirit there is no guile. And that guile, that word guile means no deceit, no lying, no putting on an act, no phoniness. 
And so David had, had come, and we could maybe, uh, I think, uh, maybe uh, assume that this came after uh, the, the uh, famous uh, uh, Psalm 53 uh, about his, um, about his uh, forgiveness of his great sin. But the thing is, um, this could be applied to us as well. Uh, our blessedness, our happiness, true happiness is being, in being a Christian is knowing you're forgiven. If you're, if you're not saved today, if you've never known Christ as your Savior, now I look here and I, I'm sure on Sunday night most people will be saved here. But the thing is, uh, there's always a chance that there might be somebody lost. But one of the greatest thrills and one of the greatest joys um, in our Christian life is having the sense of forgiveness. I, uh, and I, I should say the, uh, the, 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 the reason for that is because God lays upon us a great heaviness a great heaviness in our heart because of sin. Uh, and and uh, this, this blessedness or this happiness comes about when this, is, this load is taken away. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 11, 28, He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest and for your soul. There's a rest that people are looking for that uh, they can't find in, in any other uh, worldly endeavor, drugs, sex, rock and roll. I mean, people are looking for some kind of alleviation from this natural thing that happens to mankind when he's in rebellion to his maker. And that is a, a conviction of sin in our hearts. And the thing is, uh, we're longing. We're longing as a people. We're longing as a race to be alleviated from this suffering, this, uh, this guilt and so we come up with new ways of, of trying to psychoanalyze it and maybe rationalize it away and blame it on somebody else, even. Blame it on your parents. Blame it on society. Uh, that's the atheist way of doing it. But truly, uh, we stand uh, responsible for our own actions and for our state before a holy, perfect God. This says that this righteousness that he, that he received was imputed. Imputed simply means that it was uh, not that he was innocent, but that he was guilty. But he was being granted this righteousness. And that's exactly why, uh, why it says in Isaiah 44, 21, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt, be forgotten. thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. The Lord is he's looking to forgive sin. Uh, and the Lord says that He will heal the brokenhearted. Israel. When Israel was in their captivity in Egypt, the Bible says that He looked upon their affliction and He looked upon their groaning. And it says that this came up to God uh, and this is actually uh, where God responded as He noticed their bondage. It says, And God heard their groanings and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. There's something about us being under this load and burden and guilt of sin that draws God's attention to our situation. Uh, when people uh, deny this, when people uh, try to uh, uh, maybe explain away this guilt because of sin, uh, they, they don't really help the situation. They're actually avoiding God solving it. God has, li God has lifted the burden. He carries it away. Um, and the Bible says here that he covers it from view um, and he blots out the handwriting of its indictment. 
Now, this burden of guilt in verse 3 and 4 uh, talks about, uh, we see that David said, I kept silence and my bones waxed old through, the, through my roaring all the day long. Now, um, there are three, kind, three, defi- three uh, um, terms that are used about being in this wrong relationship, this sin, if you please. And the word is used as transgression, which really means stepping over a boundary, a boundary line, a limitation. Uh, that's what transgression is, crossing over. Sin is missing the mark. If an uh, if, uh, if a archer was uh, tar- uh, targeting, a, 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 uh, looking for a target to hit, and he misses the mark, that's what sin actually is. And iniquity. Iniquity is taking what's right and straight and true and twisting it. And so it's something twisted. That's iniquity. Uh, sin steps over the bound, sin steps over the boundary, misses the target, and twists the straight. And this is the usual manner of mankind in his, uh, dealing with, uh, decisions he has to make and choices he has to make. When he, when he, when he uh, rejects God's way. Uh, but it's also possible to be guilty of sin and really feel okay. Let's look in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And this is, this is uh, a problem. And this is an only problem for lost people. This is a problem for church people as well. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, we read, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art, thou, uh, uh, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice... And open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. Now this is this is people who have a who have a problem, but they don't see they have a problem. They have a, God sees the problem. God sees that they're blind. God sees that they're naked. God sees that they're poor, but they don't see it that way. They seem like, hey, everything's fine. Everything's going well. Everything's hunky dory. I don't have any problems. I'm doing well. You know, that's the, that's your, that's the typical, uh, let's say, North American, as, as I am American. That's the American spirit is, is get everything you can and can everything you, you get. But it's really trying to uh, achieve the American dream of being wealthy and being successful when really having a relation, not having a relationship with God is, is uh, not even considered. And here the Lord's talking about people who have everything this world can can really afford and, and look at themselves in that carnal way and feel like everything's all right. Everything's all right. And maybe some churches are like that too. Maybe some Christians are like that too. Well, they feel like everything's fine. But truly, listening, he says, if, if you hear me. See, God is speaking. God is speaking. And we're living in a day and age where we're listening to everything else but God. 
We're, you know, we wake up in the morning and we first thing we check, and I'm, I'm just as guilty. We check our Facebook, we check our email, we check what's the news, we check what's going on, and the information just keeps on coming, and it doesn't stop, just keeps on coming, and you got to, and you're always trying to keep up with it. Just trying to keep up with, you know, you don't want to be left behind, so you want to keep up with it. And the thing is, we are being left behind. If we follow the culture of this world, and the way the world's telling us to live, and the way the world's telling us to think, and the way the world's telling us to, to uh, make our decisions, we're going to be left behind with God. And God's looking at us and He's trying to get our attention because He wants us to be clothed. He wants us to not be naked. You know, it's interesting, Adam and Eve, <coughs> that when they sinned, they found out they were naked. It was, it was, a, it was a stark reality to them. Uh, that's the way we should be. That's the way God would have us to be when we sin. The church or Christians must not live by uh, sight, but by faith. And that's, and that's the issue. The issue is our, the way our life, if we're looking at just what we have and, and, uh, the, uh, maybe associations we have as well as the material things, we could feel very, um, very comfortable and very, uh, um, happy with ourselves. And it's, it's great. It's great. It's wonderful. When you see people who, it's what a wonderful testimony. When you see people have all the world's goods, and have all those accolades from the world, and yet they admit they're missing the greatest thing, and that's a relationship with God. Uh, we're planning on going to the mission, uh, a, um, in Peterborough. Uh, Brother Jeff's church is having a uh, teen conference, and there's a guy, um, the preacher. He preached last year, young guy. He's, a, he's the uh, youth pastor at the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And I heard his testimony last year, and this guy, is, his dad, owned the land where the um, the Chicago Bulls have their stadium, and he sold it to them. The guy's a billionaire. Um, and he offered his, his son, actually uh, his son, uh, uh, and the father and the mother actually had divorced, and, and, they, and the son lived very meager with his other brother, I guess, and his sister, um, with his mother. But the father came around later, and he wanted to really make his son somebody, and, but his son had already gotten saved through the bus ministry. Somebody had come by, picked him up, uh, every Sunday and brought him to church and, and uh, he got saved and growing in the Lord and uh, his dad uh, wanted to get him out of that. His dad was a Muslim and uh, wanted him to, uh, uh, thought it was so ridiculous that his son would want to become a Christian and uh, he tried to uh, intimidate him to get out of it. He told him, uh, I'm going to disown you as my son and everything the father tried to do to get him out of that, um, he, th- this young man would not give in. And finally, uh, the father would come back around and, and try other tactics. And he said, listen, I'll give you a summer job. And young man was wanted to go to Bible college. And he says, yeah, I need a summer job. So gave him a summer job. And, he said, and he's, at, the end of the, at the end of the summer, he said, okay, here are the keys to the BMW. You can have it. And uh, he said, and uh, listen, if you give up this idea of being a preacher, uh, I'll promise you $1 million a year. And uh, this son, in tears, told his dad, I can't. The Lord's called me to preach. The Lord's called me to preach. And uh, that's the kind of testimony. I mean, this, his father did not get saved. He didn't say his father got saved yet. But um, whether his father gets saved or not, this is to the glory of God. Here's a young man who recognizes that all the things of this world, even being uh, saturated with all the uh, com- creature comforts, is still not the life. It's still it's not the life of a Christian. I mean, we are living like kings, aren't we? And queens. 
I mean, I'm, I'm preaching myself here, right? Well, we, we live with like kings and queens and we still complain, uh, whatever, the coffee's not hot enough or something. I mean, there's whatever the littlest thing. And, and really, the, the real great joy we should have is that we have a relationship with God. That should be, in our, when we wake up in the morning, our, we have a relationship with God. And why? Because he, our sins are forgiven. Here, here David is saying that he was, he was depressed. He wasn't willing, he wasn't willing here at one point to confess his sin before God. And it was waiting on him. And he, he finally, he finally broke, uh, in, in verse, uh, uh, in verse five, he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I mean, that's where the Christian has to come to. I, I, I really believe that the problem with um, uh, the, the North American church is that we don't recognize our sin anymore. We, listen, we've laughed at sin. We've uh, gotten very accustomed to it. It becomes very, uh, it's part of our, who knows what's going on at home. But the thing is, we really will even joke about sin. I, you know, I've, sometimes on Facebook, I'll see some people who are Christians. I know they're Christians, but I'll have to, I'll have to block them because I don't want that stuff coming on my page. Uh, and, and it's, it's, and these are, these are, as far as I know, I, they're people I love, but, uh, you know, they, they feel very comfortable with sin. This is the problem with, the generation we're living in now. If, if we could go back, and I've been saved for 40 years, if we can go back some time, um, it was very, there was a stark reality between the world and the church. And, and, and those that were Christians uh, looked at the world as the enemy. <laughs> and actually, the world looked at the church as, you guys don't have any fun. You guys aren't with it. You guys aren't cool. When, sometimes when I'll go back and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at some old movies or at least some, some times back in the, I'm going to go back, back in the 70s or the 80s, and I'll see where I sort of missed a whole swath of what was going on in the movies and all this, you know, the, the guys wore the, what do you call those? Mullets, right? They wore mullets and, and the girls wore these big hair, you know, in the 80s and stuff. And I think we, I don't know, we sort of missed, I sort of missed that time. You know why? Because I was having fun at church. I was really, I was actually having fun at church. I mean, I missed all those movies. I missed all that, what was cool at that time. And, um, I didn't care. As a matter of fact, before I was saved, I would have died not to be cool. I would have died. I could imagine not having all the latest things. But boy, after you get saved, it's like, who cares? I got the best, the best thing in the world. And uh, I remember it was, uh, when I first got saved, uh, uh, a young man, I was 19 years old, and just a burden just lifted off my heart, just as David saying, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. I, that's what I felt like. And I remember I, I'd go in the backyard, my brother, we'd, we'd be th- throwing a ball, you know, and I'd, I'd take my harmonica, I'd put a harmonica in my mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a... Um, um, uh, oh, how I love Jesus. And I'm just doing it with the harmonica. We're, we're just tossing the ball back and forth. And I don't know, if somebody really saw me who wasn't saved, my brother probably couldn't hear me or whatever because we're far away. But I, I'm just, think anything I was doing, I just wanted to rejoice in the Lord. Wasn't like that before I was saved. I remember this young, this, uh, this lady, 
uh, who um, I used to work with, and she was a, uh, I was a salesman, she was a saleswoman, and uh, she was saved. And I, first I thought she was weird, but then I said, oh, she's Christian, okay. Um, she wasn't cool, but I thought, okay, if she's cool, Christian, then I, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about this. I was inquisitive, I was interested. And then we went to McDonald's and had lunch, and she brought her Bible. And I remember her opening up her, oh, let's, she thought she was going to have a Bible, so she opened up her Bible, and I'm sitting across from her, and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Everybody's here. They're going to see us. And I mean, I was really petrified. At that time, I was going to college, and I remember going down, uh, there were Gideons who were passing out boxes of little Gideon New Testaments, and they were with happy face standing there at the doorway, and I was coming, and I saw these guys, and I said, how do I get away from here? And I went all the way around the campus to a back door. And as soon as I got to the door, there was another one right there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. But you know what that was? That was the conviction of sin. I didn't want the conviction of sin. I didn't want God to be ruining my, what I had planned in my life. I want things my way. But, so, but you know, you get down to a point. You get down to a point in your life where you realize, I'm not in control. I am not in control. And, then, and God lets things... Listen, God is in control even when we, we think we're in control. And He's letting things go, but eventually we're going we're gonna to spin ourselves out of control and He's waiting for that to happen so that we'll look up. And that's exactly with myself. It's like, okay, God, you're in, you're in control. What would you have me to do? And little did, we know, little did I know at that time that the greatest blessing awaited me. It wasn't, oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, I can't. It wasn't that. It's like, this burden of sin has got to be lifted. Listen, when we're witnessing to people, when we're witnessing to people, that burden of sin has got to be there. See, I I believe there's another problem we've had in our churches where we felt felt so, we've sort of mechanicalized or or streamlined or uh, almost made like a, a production line trying to get converts without really recognizing this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual thing that's taking place. We're working with organisms of people that are, it's not machines. And so when we're witnessing to somebody, oh, we might have a great spiel like the cults do. They have their spiel. But that spiel, I mean, we've got to be able to not have a spiel. We've got to have a life. We've got to have a life to show them that what we got is real. That's what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a real Christian, somebody who really has a relationship with God. And where they're going now, where the world is going now, well, they're going to Buddhism. Because people are talking about, hey, this is healthy. They're going to all kinds of uh, you know, mystic type things because you can feel like you're getting close to God. I don't know if you're familiar with the emergent church, but that's the next wave of, of things that are going to be coming uh, in the, in the, in, that's going to be hitting our churches. And it really is going back to like mysticism. Cause people are getting, people are getting, they're going to get sick and tired of the hoopla with the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the big rock and roll bands. They're going to get tired of that. And they're going to say, okay, the party's over. I really want to know God. And they're going to come and, and they'll, and Satan has a, already has a substitute for them ready to go. And it's, and it's to light candles. It's to try to get into mysticism. Anything but get to the Bible. And anything to be dealing with the sin issue. And that's exactly where what has to happen. 
Uh, it has to be dealing with sin. So what I'm saying, when we're dealing with people, we need to be able to talk about their sin. They have to be under conviction. Like, like this, is, this is somebody who got saved. They didn't want to get saved. They didn't want to be forgiven. They wanted to have their way. And the, the, the weight of sin was bearing down, and finally they broke and they said, I'll confess my sin. That has to happen. You can become actually physically weak. You can become physically weak if you don't confess your sin. Isn't it interesting in the um, in First Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty nine, talking about the Lord's Supper, it says, "For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if ye would judge yourselves, you should not be judged." So there, there's a time where we're supposed to, God wants us regularly, on a regular basis, to come and, and try to make ourselves right before Him. Confess sin. Confess sin. Collectively, as well as individually. He says, you're bought with a price, you're not your own. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. God will chasten, He will chasten us. But his chastening is a chastening of love. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint thou when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye if ye are without chastening, whereof all are partakers then are you bastards and not sons. Really, you know, a Christian cannot be living a life of sin without having this conviction of the weight of, of doing wrong on his life. I mean, when a person says, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I don't care, I'm going to live my life any way I want, well, I, I believe you can get away with that for a while. I mean, we see in the Bible that, that has happened to uh, many of the heroes of the faith. They, went, they, they strayed away from God. And for a while, I mean, David, for sure, at least for almost uh, uh, nine months, it looks like, David got away, thought he was doing everything uh, to cover his tracks. But eventually, that Holy Spirit that's there in the believer is grieved. And that Holy Spirit is saying, I want to make things right. And if that's not happening, then you have to question, is that person really saved? Because it says, if they don't have, or if there's no hardships coming in their life, because of their sin, then they're really not a child of God. Because God will go after His children. Again, not because, he's, uh, because God is trying to be self-serving, because God loves His children, and He doesn't want them to hurt themselves. He wants them to be in the circle of blessing. Listen, when parents discipline their children, they don't want to make them, their kids feel bad. They don't want their children to, to feel like they're... Uh, uh, um, they don't even want to be mad at their children. But they want them to be brought back into a circle of blessing where they can bless them again. But if they, if they bless them and they're outside of righteousness, if they're doing wrong, then actually they're encouraging the, the wrong thing. And God is the same way. God will not, He will withhold His blessing from the Christian that wants to live outside of that realm of living a righteous life. Christians need to get back to a righteous living. You know, uh, you know, and I could, I could, uh, you know, what, I have my problems. What, what are your problems? Uh, well, I got, I struggle with. What are you struggling with? I mean, sin is is pleasurable for a season. 
Sin, sin we, we can enjoy sin for a while, but, but uh, the chickens come home to roost. And the thing is, when, when we don't have a real desire for holiness and righteousness to be with God, um, we will slip away and we'll miss out on God's real blessings. The Bible even says that for the, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? God deals with His children before He's going to deal with the world. He will deal with the world, but He's going to deal with His children first. And the reason is, yes, He loves us, but He actually wants us to be usable, and He wants to use us right. So David David came to this uh, conviction and understanding that um, he needed to acknowledge his sin. He just had to do it. <clears throat> and verse 6 says, for, every, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Now, what is that talking about? What it says here, for everyone that, that is godly pray uh, will, will pray unto him in a time when thou mayest be found. It seems, and then it says, it, it seems like there's a time when God can be found. Because it says, surely in the flood of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Not come near unto God. In other words, all the, all the hardships that come that God allows, or I should say, it's just the simple default of living in sin. I mean, God doesn't have to do anything special if a man's committing adultery. That's going to blow up in his face. God doesn't have to do anything special if a person has a drug problem or, or, or an alcohol problem. Just the default is you're just going to explode your life. God doesn't have to do anything if somebody's a perpetual liar and trying to cover the tracks about something. It's just going to blow up in your face. These are, and these are the, 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 as the floods of many waters will be going on you. Those, those hardships in life won't necessarily get you right with God. You need the Holy Spirit of God that's working in your life where God is saying, come, now's the time. Now's the time. Now I want you to come. Now I want you to get right. And it seems like there's not really, that it's always that time that He's bidding you to come. There's a certain time. You know when it says about, uh, Nicodemus uh, is told by Jesus in John chapter 3, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Listen, you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit leaves. The Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit leaves. And you can be crying all you want to be saved, but if the Holy Spirit's not there, then you're not going to be saved. Don't you think that maybe during the flood, when Noah's flood came, there are people saying, You were right! You were right! Yes, you were right! Now open the door! Don't you think maybe that might have been happening? But the Holy Spirit said, That's it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Spirit of God will not always strive with man. There's a time where He's calling us to respond, and He's calling us and He's calling us, and we might be saying, Well, i got plenty of time. I'll do it soon. And you can't guarantee the Holy Spirit's going to be there. And the flood of many waters and the, and the troubles that come because of sin are there, and those things are not going to drive you to God. How many, you know, it's interesting, even in the book of Revelation, it talks about how people will be crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. Rather than getting right with God. In other words, they're, just, they're still trying to uh, 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 do it their way. We need the Holy... I mean, 
so the lesson is, when God is calling, respond. When the, and listen, I'll say this. When preaching is done, the purpose of preaching is to elicit a command and a response from our, to our hearts. Teaching is another thing. Teaching is just dispensing information. But when preaching is done, it's supposed to elicit you to respond to do something. And when we forego that and say, and I've done that many times, you say, well, yeah, I'll take care of it later. Yeah, I know, preacher. Yeah, I know, I know. I'll take care of it later. But I'll tell you, those times I know in my life when I've responded exactly, immediately, those have been the most sweetest times and demarcations in my spiritual life. Church service or maybe uh, some other thing, but definitely a church service when God is speaking. Don't put it off. It says, um, oh, well, I don't, I don't think I have it in my notes, but I don't. The, the scripture where it says, uh, uh, <clears throat> as in the provocation, you know, the, um, can you quote it for me? Something. <laughs> But uh, it says there's a time and a day when there was a where God was calling them and they were denying Him and, and talking about the Old Testament and the wilderness, and uh, so uh, we need to respond, and uh, we need to respond sincerely. There are people that respond and say they sin, but they really not they're not really sincere. Remember Saul. In First Samuel chapter 15, it says that Saul said to Samuel, he said, I have sinned. And then he says, yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people, before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Saul was sorry that he was caught. Saul was sorry that, that he looked like a fool. He was sorry that Samuel was disappointed in him. But he really was looking for the praise of his people. And he knew he needed Samuel's approval, at least displaying some kind of approval to him to get the people to follow him. And so he was basically still toying with the, with the words and the idea that he needed to get right with God, but he really wasn't thinking of getting right with God. He was just trying to cover himself. Listen, when, we, when a person comes before God in true repentance, it's, it's just as I am, and it's uh, uh, without one plea, simply but that thy blood was shed for me. Lord, I come. If there's nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. In other words, you don't have any hidden motive. Now, I remember when I got saved, though, and maybe this was after I got saved, but I knew even before I got saved, I thought that if you get saved, it seems like these Christians are happy people. And you know, what will really make me happy is if I get a promotion at work. So if I get saved, maybe I'll get that promotion. And so in a sense, that <laughs> there were other things that actually overshadowed that foolish type of thinking. But, but that's a real way that sometimes people look at uh, coming to God, thinking He's almost like a genie in a bottle, and if I just rub Him right, then maybe He'll give me what I want. And I'm going to manipulate Him. And God cannot be manipulated. He owns, He has all the cards. It's His will. It's Listen, when we receive Jesus, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, you're the boss. That's what we say. And see, there's some people that, like even Saul, who could come and say that he was, he was looking for a really... To be uh, seen of men, 
Jeremiah says in his confession, which actually was more than a confession for the national Israel, and he says, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against the against Thee. Do not abhor us for Thy name's sake. Do not disgrace thy, the throne of Thy glory. Remember, break not Thy covenant with us. It's amazing. Jeremiah was a great prophet, the weeping prophet. He included himself with all his brethren and even the iniquity of his fathers. And he was asking for forgiveness. And he says, do it. Forgive me, Lord, for your honor and glory. And when we're looking to get our hearts right with God, as, as David was in jubilation and happy that his sins were forgiven, um, the idea is really that it's not just that I'll be happy and I'll be on the right side of God. It's that, God, you'll have the rightful place of being exonerated, or not exonerated, but being exalted in my life. You belong, or I belong to you, and you have every right to be exalted in my life. For your honor, for your glory. God, forgive me for your honor, for your glory. And that's how every Christian should be praying. We should all be praying that in any request that we have. Now, the Bible does say, casting all our care upon Him, for He careth for us. But in our, in our prayer, it's always, God, Thy will be done. Uh, in Jesus' name, I pray this. That means if it honors you, God, grant this. If it doesn't honor you, then you can just let this go aside. This is the, Christ, this is the Christian response. The world will never understand it. The world is always looking itself. <clears throat> So, this, the last two verses, let's just look at the last two verses of this text again. It says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, rejoice ye rejo- righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. The joy, God says the joy, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we are Christians not enjoying our Christian life, I just have to say, there's sin in our life. There's sin in our life. With the natural, the natural uh, uh, sense of a Christian should be joy. Now, Jesus was a man of sorrows. But you know what? He didn't stay that way. As a matter of fact, He said, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the Father. So he's, he, he, he was always looking for that right place of, of righteousness, but that with, what came with that righteousness was joy and happiness. This is something the world has, knows nothing about. And listen, I believe this is the greatest testimony. It may be the greatest testimony we have, rather than a track. You can have a track. You have a track, and you pass it out to people. But if you're passing out the track going... Or if you're passed out the travel, you need this! You know what? <clears throat> you can take, catch more flies with, with honey than vinegar. Is that how it goes something like that? And the thing is, I'll tell you, in my life, what I saw as a great witness were Christians who had a joy that I couldn't explain in a rational way why they're so happy. I should be happy. I got this going for me. I got, but I'm not happy. I got things going for, but they're happy. They don't have what I got. They don't have this. 
And they're really happy. And the sad, you know, they, you know what they say the most dissatisfied people on the planet are? North Americans. We're the most dissatisfied people. And I would venture to say maybe it includes Christ, all us Christians too. And I know, listen, I'm, 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 I'm preaching myself here because, uh, <clears throat> I have that tendency to be a complainer and look at all and be just try to, you know, examine things and if the things aren't perfectly to my liking, then I'll, I'll, I'll try to voice it and, and it doesn't make anything, any, things any better. Um, <clears throat> I remember my dad looked at me, uh, you know, either my, either the food was too hot or it was too cold or it was not spicy enough or it was too spicy. And I remember my dad looked at me, and this is before I was saved, and he said, you're a chronic complainer. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? Chronic complainer? <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant. And then I thought about it afterwards, even being saved now, and I'm like, wow, he pegged me pretty good. But listen, uh, you know why? You, don't, you know how that happens? Because you're unthankful. Because you're unthankful for what you got. And you feel like you deserve everything. And maybe a little bit more. And see, this is where we are. And the more we have, the more we have, the more we want. It seems to be that those people who have less than we have are the happier people. And I, I mean, this is sort of natural. But as a Christian, like I'm saying, our greatest testimony is that we have the joy. And really, we should tell people why we have the joy. We have a Savior. He forgave my sins. I trusted Jesus. To, uh, I trusted in His mercy. Jesus died for my sins. Listen, it might be a little embarrassing to say that, but I'll tell you, you'll get you'll get people's attention, and they'll they'll say, "Wow, there's real joy there." Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor was interviewing for some missionary to China. Was interviewing some young people who had volunteered for the Lord's service. He asked several practical questions to find out how well they qualified, and if they were. How well they qualified uh, for this life as a foreign missionary? Um, he said, "One of the questions: Why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary?" Um, I want to. Some have said, "I want to reach others across the sea because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." One replied. Another said, "I want to go because millions are dying without ever hearing of." Jesus, the only one who can save them. And others had similar answers. Hudson Taylor looked at them thoughtfully for a moment and said, All your motives are good, but I fear they will fail you in the times of severe testing and tribulation, especially if you are confronted with the possibility of having to face death for your testimony. The only motive that will enable you to, to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that's, that's the love of Christ constraineth you to keep you faithful in every situation. Knowing God's love for you and the forgiveness that you've received and the joy that that produces in your life is will sustain you in any trial and tribulation. When we overlook this as just, okay, maybe a little fanaticism, just a little emotionalism. No. This is, this is what God wants us to have on a regular, daily basis. If we've lost that joy, we need to find out what sin is, is stamping on it. What are we withholding God from really having full control of our life? Because that's where the joy is really found, when He's truly the Lord of our life and the appreciation and the gratefulness of His forgiving Spirit to us. Let's go, Lord, in prayer.